Welcome to The Workplace, the program about how to get into, get along, and get ahead at work, produced and presented by me, N.N.D. This is the Autumn-Winter 2023 review slash AI season review, as Autumn-Winter 2023 here on the program was AI season, where we took a comprehensive look at artificial intelligence through a series of interviews connected with the Science Gallery London exhibition, AI Who's Looking After Me. First, we covered an overview of the exhibition with curator Jennifer Wong. So if I could give you a snapshot of the exhibition, it spans two floors of the gallery, it really takes you through different areas of life where AI is present and increasingly so. And it gives you a picture of the diversity of this technology and how it's really, it feels like it's kind of everywhere. So some works tackle AI in the healthcare sector, some works tackle AI in the environment and issues of like privacy and security, especially around the smart assistant area. There are exhibits that deal with love and looking for love and then there is a kind of area within the exhibition that provides people with a more reflective opportunity to look at literature find tools that tackle bias and other perspectives from across the world let's turn now to the prescience of this exhibition yeah the timing of the show is pretty phenomenal nobody could have predicted the release of ChatGPT. well actually i thought maybe you all in the science world knew this was going to come out and then that's why you all planned this exhibition to be around now is that the inside track on the whole thing um i wish uh, no <laughs> okay uh, our shows take a, a little while to develop so we've been developing the show for a number of years now and i think What's interesting about everything that happened during the pandemic in terms of AI and healthcare, and then GPT, it seems like everything has just accelerated and generated a ton of media headlines. And what we're really keen for the show to do is enable people to have normal conversations that are not like hugely hype or hugely doom, but actually hearing the difference between media assumptions and headlines and the reality of how the technology is unrolling, but it's a really interesting time to bring a lot of different people together to reflect on how this technology is gonna impact their own practice. So we've had a ton of really interesting discussions, and I think part of what the event program is trying to do is bring together more people who are working in the field with others in the UK, in the US, in the Global South, and just really trying to get a grip on the state of play with regards to how this technology is changing our lives now and in the near future. What is the average exhibition attendee? And by that I mean John or Jane, public, not academics and professionals and stuff, meant to take away from a visit. I think the way in which we've interpreted the works within the exhibition, we're just asking a bunch of questions really this technology is seemingly everywhere and nowhere and i hope that people coming to the show will come away with a better understanding of where the technology is in reality today and a sense of the everywhereness of it and also a better sense of the kind of key critical questions that we need to be asking about this technology as it develops and a sense of who is involved in that thinking so that they are able to 
have some kind of agency and even thinking about something like AI a bit more critically. We also had a two-part discussion with artist Wesley Goatley on AI, work and the environment, in which we discussed his installation, Newly Forgotten Technologies. We've sort of established here the role of artists in the grand scheme of things and the significance of their contribution. How do you see your particular contribution in this regard? In the midst of all the artists who are contributing to AI and helping us to think more deeply and more critically about it, what sets Wesley Goatley apart in this space? I think as an artist, there's no point making a work that you've seen someone else do before. Personally, not, I've not got any interest. I'm really happy if someone makes something that I thought that I should make you know that I'm like oh they've already done it great I can do something else now you know because art's really tiring and my practice isn't like super fun it's really complicated and technical and I didn't go to a computer science school so you know I don't have a lot of great skills in it I just find myself making the work that I want to make because I feel that there's an imperative there because I don't see enough people at least talking about the things I talk about which in a work like Newly Forgotten Technologies is about the environmental cost of these technologies and their kind of hidden environmental realities and trying to break down some of those myths around AI, you know, the myth that it is in some sense autonomous, or the myth that it knows better than humans or that it knows anything at all, that it's more than just a bunch of algorithms and a bunch of databases owned by some very powerful people, you know, and it's the powerful people we should be thinking about, not whether or not Alexa is alive, but also the myth that it somehow is intelligent, that we have managed to to create artificial intelligence, which obviously we couldn't do because we can't even agree on what intelligence is, let alone create an artificial version. It's like showing somebody like a tiny part of the front wheel of a car and not telling them what a car is or what a car does, how big a car is, how it runs, how an engine operates, just showing them that tiny bit of the wheel and then saying, right, now build me a car. Even though you don't know the scale, the kind of where that car begins and ends, you don't really know what it can do. You don't really know its ins and outs, but you've got to build one now. You know, that would obviously be an impossible task and we can relate that task to the idea of creating artificial intelligence. So there is a company in Nigeria called Source who employ largely local people to label images for a lot of tech companies around the world that will label these images. And one of the things they do specifically is they go through ChatGPT's databases and try to find all of the worst, most offensive things that have been written online by anybody and therefore has made it into these massive databases of text that ChatGPT has built on and all this kind of history of text that's been shared online. So these people go through these massive databases and they're paid to read the worst things you can possibly imagine having been written online which is basically the worst things that any human has ever written ever, you know, because the internet is both sublime and horrid, as we all know. And so they're paid to basically screen out that information from these databases so that when ChatGPT gets released to the public, it's very polite, it's very clean, you know, doesn't have naughty words in it. It won't swear at you or present violent sexual imagery to you through text. But how it does that is because a human has been paid about just over $2 an hour to read these things all day long, over and over again for their nine to five day job. So obviously the emotional impact on those people is huge. The company has a large investment in kind of mental health support for its workers. 
um, summer source. But there's a lot of reports coming out of it that the mental health teams themselves are massively overloaded because they're dealing with people who are having to deal with such trauma of having to look at these things. And every image generation database has had the same sort of process gone through it, but for the worst images you can imagine that someone would post online. Next, Irini Papadimitriou, creative director at arts organization Future Everything, who collaborated with the Science Gallery on the exhibition, talked about AI in the arts. Of course, with new technologies coming up and artists, but also workers and all of us, we reskill and upskill and we know that always has happened in terms of new jobs are created, jobs are lost. And of course, artists find in these technologies always ways for artistic expression. The problem is that, yeah, definitely some jobs are being lost. However, what happens with artificial intelligence is that we have these mythical ideas about what AI is and these fantasy ideas, which of course have come from popular culture, from film, science fiction, and so on, and media still continues to present us with these fantasy visions about what artificial intelligence is. So even the term itself, artificial intelligence, it doesn't kind of explain what we're talking about because we think often that artificial intelligence is something that is autonomous, that we're talking about machines that are completely autonomous, that they are intelligent and they are automatic as well. But actually none of this is true. The reality is that with artificial intelligence, we still have people hidden behind these architectures who are doing menial tasks. For example, in order for machines to learn, we use like masses and masses of data. And for this data to be usable, they have to be cleaned, they have to be tagged, they have to be annotated. Who does this work? It's not a machine, it's humans who are hidden behind that. And most often like these People who take these tasks are crowdsourced workers from companies around the world, and they usually have workers from the global south. So again, we're talking about a colonial kind of approach when it comes to artificial intelligence and labor. So it's not about just we're going to lose our jobs, it's that our jobs are becoming invisible when it comes to artificial intelligence. You might have seen the automatic order, like food order machines at different brands on the high street, right? Of course, this means that they are eliminating workers who are in the front line where we can order our food, but that doesn't mean that they are not people behind the scenes who are preparing everything, they are getting our orders. So the fact that I'm touching a screen and then sending my order, it doesn't mean that there is not a person behind that. What's the problem if work becomes invisible? What's the issue with that? The issue is that we uh, kind of think that artificial intelligence, that machines are intelligent and we kind of attribute any problems to these machines when actually there are humans behind everything. Even the fact that there are humans who have the power to design these machines in a way. So all these issues about who are these systems impacting, there are humans who are responsible for the decision making behind these systems. So like let's say there are communities actually who are targeted they are impacted from facial recognition for example they are being targeted because of their skin color because of the neighborhood where they live because of their economic background and so on so they might be 
kind of thought that they will, I don't know, uh, become criminals in the future because of historical wrong data. And this is how bias works. This is how machine learning works as well. So I think we humans have to continue to take responsibility for these systems that we're creating that in a way recycle and recreate the bias that we have in our society, but also our, as humans as well. So we have to be more transparent about how these systems work. It's not enough to just kind of hide people behind artificial intelligence and think that artificial intelligence is intelligent because it's not. Then Triple Dot Makers and Echo Charity, along with King's College PhD researcher Tareen Dawood, joined me to discuss AI in the medical field, highlighting their art-based workshop come installation titled Artificial Intelligence, which was created by young people living with heart conditions. It was really interesting when young people spoke about what could people do to help them trust AI. Some of the distrust that come have come from things like movies, and watching, you know, AI take over the world or do something really negative. And what they felt would be really helpful was more positive stories about how AI is actually helping in healthcare. So whether that's from patient notes or information, diagnosis, and sharing what's happening around the world. So projects like this, where we're able to work in partnership with researchers, with patient and parent involvement groups, and with artists, just allows us to start that conversation. And I know far-reaching, not just the young people that took part, but other young people with heart conditions have been really moved by this. And we've already had people that have seen the kind of artwork and are interested and have reached out to our charity just because of this project. So the researchers were saying, you know, actually AI is, you know, some of these processes are automated already. So it's it's that thing that Sam was saying about being put off by media representation but some of these things are simple kind of not simple but they're they're tasks that are being taken that free up the doctor's time and I think artists just from what you all described about the whole process of bringing the project to life and the workshops and so artists are just making it just more interesting you know what I mean like something you want to be involved in and you want to do. And can I just make a pitch here and say, in terms of um, positive storylines coming out of, you know, films and so, maybe Echo Teens can pitch uh, Spielberg for a film about the patient's hard journeys. <laughs> Stephen's email address. We'd love to, um, <laughs> to have a film club, actually, and, and members of our film club were part of this project. So who knows? What's the I, I mentioned that because <laughs> in a previous episode, I mentioned Spielberg's film AI from 20 years ago, which proved the young people's point. Then PhD researcher Moktulga Batoktok spoke about his installation, What is Essence?, as we explored the theme of safe and trusted AI. It's now important than ever for developers and experts to curate their data sets carefully and also more important than ever for cultures to document and present themselves accurately not just hoping it would be found from the internet, but proactively putting it forward, guiding others to use it. So if you have quality data, then you increase the chances of the black box, deep learning models, which you don't understand inside, putting out quality outputs on the other side. So black box is usually just a way to say that you can't see inside the box. Imagine somebody gives you a gift in a black box and you can see what's inside. 
And this gift is a machine which takes something and output something. And uh, let's say you put in a sheet of paper and it puts out uh, uh, origami or something like a swan. Mm -hmm. Or let's just say even if it's, if it's a printer, you don't know what's going on inside, right? That's what we mean by black box. However, that being said, even having the right data set does not mean an AI model will be able to learn from it properly. And having a perfect data set is nearly impossible due to various practical limitations and the fact that we have so hard time defining what is essence of anything. That's why we must also continue to look for methodologies to learn effectively and safely learn from potentially flawed data. So you said you wanted to talk about limits and art and AI. What did you want to tell us about what art can tell us about the limits of the human mind and how and why this is relevant to AI? I think art is a very valuable source of insights into the human mind. It's an indispensable source even. It's because if we look at other types of data, for example, let's say photographs, photographs are data that can even be captured by us and uh, even other animals would probably see things the same as cameras but art is the only mean through which we can express the inner perspectives of humans so art can tell us about the uniquely human perspective of the world around us which means that it's only art that can tell us what the limits of the human mind is at least when it comes to images and uh, the significance of this to ai is if we can understand the limits of the human mind better then we at least know where we are what we're aiming at with the development of ai and more concretely understanding how humans perceive the essence of concepts you can develop more robust and more generalizable models. What does it mean for people who are working in the field of arts? What does it mean for photographers? What does it mean for illustrators, for graphic designers? There is a worry about well, whether AI is going to replace the humanity, basically, <laughs> artists. However, from this exhibition, what we have learned is quite the opposite because we can see that from the generated art, for example, though the differences are subtle, it is still nowhere near as good as a pro. And it's just, there are so many subtle things that you have to be aware of, including cultural aspect of art. So you have to be able to understand what has been going on in the current scene to be an artist. AI is obviously updated at fixed intervals and even if it's able to uh, update itself in real time humans should be in the driving to share and teach the ai about what the real culture is supposed to be basically we need the human touch and i think it's a really good point that ai really even though it amasses a lot of information it's humans who really have culture that's basically the point yeah yes and it, it's an alive thing always evolving and it's a thing that is done and experienced by people and without people I, ai could never do it alone and what i like too is what you said about that the exhibition has brought to the fore that mm. ai can't replace people 
machines can't replace people. I think that message alone is yeah. good. All of those episodes related directly to the Science Gallery London exhibition, AI Who's Looking After Me, which ended on the 20th of January 2024. If you missed it, simply head over to the website london.sciencegallery.com to catch up on archived content that includes recordings of various events associated with the exhibition. The final two episodes in this series dedicated to artificial intelligence veered away from installations in the Science Gallery London exhibition as we discussed AI and the future of work and AI and the future of law with former visiting Stanford scholar, researcher, and author on the impact of technology on society, work, and careers, Dr. Tracy Wylan, and legal innovation consultant, startup advisor, and member of the advisory panel of Law Tech UK, Maya Markovich. Please visit tracywylan.com and lawtechuk.io and connect with Tracy Wylan and Maya Markovich on LinkedIn and Markovich is spelled M A R K O V I C H. Should we specialize in a specific AI niche or just remain a, a generalist? Yeah, so this is a really good question because I had some colleagues of mine who specialized in machine learning and they had a very difficult time getting a job because it was so specialized. Eventually, they got phenomenal jobs aggregating and analyzing data on a federal level but they did say that maybe their path should have been different and they should have been maybe specializing in machine learning but at the same time keeping a broad view and taking on internships in other areas so that they could have more opportunities i think having that broad skill set is important being able to adapt and understand where the job market's going, where the demand is, so that you can figure out how do I plug in. And we've been through this before. When mobility took off, when social media took off, when the internet took off, everybody was trying to figure out where's the job, you know? And at the end of the day, it always came down to, yes, you have to learn technology, but you need to have additional skills. You know, the human skills don't go away. But I think the difference now with AI is, you are right about over the century, but the difference with AI is that it's the first time I understand that the machines themselves seem to have the ability to, as you said, do something creative or do something almost seemingly of its own accord. Do you understand? When the internet came, no one thought the internet had the capability to do something by itself. But somehow there is this concern that AI has the ability somehow to almost think independently. Yeah, there's an area of the black box theory is that the systems are so advanced that they keep thinking and processing faster and more creatively than humans can. There are people looking into that and there is a concern there. But yes, it's such a unique technology compared to other technologies. But you know, I would say cloud computing is pretty profound. The internet had a lot of pushback. Geez, television, balloon, the radio, you know, so many technologies have had tremendous pushback over the years. And then we seem to adapt and absorb them. But this one is, is quite interesting. And that's why I think so many people are starting to use it and figure out better ways to create and adapt it in their lives. And on that point about so many people are using it and figuring out better ways to adapt and use it, 
The corollary to that is that there will be bad actors. So how can we ensure ethical development and use of AI in the workplace? How can we ensure it? You know, like, it's, it's nice to have it as a goal, but, you know, goals don't always get realized. And what's the pathway to ensure that goal? Yeah, and that's a tough one. And that's what I think you're seeing a lot of global initiatives and meetings, even from the World Economic Forum over here in the States, tech leaders meeting on it. It reminds me of when the internet came out because people really felt the internet was going to be negative and do we control it? Do we monitor it? Or do we have guidelines? And that's, you know, the challenges for corporate leads. That's for the actual innovators themselves, for countries to be able to continue to collaborate and cooperate. Let's face it, you know, when nuclear bombs came out, right, the world was over. We're still not there, thank God, but it is a pretty powerful and could be potentially used in a very negative way. And so it is the challenge for the future. I will say in the U.S., this summer, they identified that a court in Washington, D.C. said that a work of art that's created by AI without any human input cannot be copyrighted. So that's the other side of the coin. I think that just underscores the fact that we need to prioritize these types of questions so that we do not have any sort of uh, chilling effect on the creation of art by the you know folks that we are trying to ensure have the right guardrails around what they're doing with the AI and what use and what benefit it has to the public and society. So what is the future of law and AI? Yes, so the legal industry itself is a pyramid in terms of the number of firms and market share, right? So if we're looking at it as an industry, law is a fragmented market. The largest firm in the world holds 1% of market share there's many small to mid-sized firms covering distinct markets and practices. They're often protected by regulatory constraints. The largest firm in the world holds only 1% market share. But then like, if you look at accounting, the big four has 50% market share, even up to 90% in certain things. So that's just an example of how law is such a fragmented market. And the net impact of all of these trends towards automation, AI, tech implementation, we think is going to be a movement towards more of a barbell structure. So there will, you know, clients will consolidate who they're working with. Law firms will get bigger to serve them globally. Law firm networks where they're connecting with each other and an ecosystem, those will probably continue to grow. Mid-range firms will probably decrease. And then I think there will be lots of small and specialized firms and alternative service providers that are going to target specific geographies or niche areas of the law and still prosper. And I think the IP question that we talked about earlier is a great critical example of where we will need to see somebody developing a niche and serving those new needs and doing well for themselves. Those final two episodes, while not directly connected to the Science Gallery London exhibition, will sit alongside all the interviews connected thereto as part of the series dealing with the theme of AI. To keep up with these and all the other work and workplace-related conversations that take place here on the workplace, please connect with me using hashtag WorkplaceNND.
And that's it for this episode of The Workplace, the program about how to get into, get along, and get ahead at work, produced and presented by me, NND. This was the autumn-winter 2023 review, which was, in effect, also the AI season review. The episodes mostly related directly to the Science Gallery London exhibition, AI, Who's Looking After Me, which ended on the 20th of January, 2024. If you missed it, simply head over to the website london.sciencegallery.com to catch up on archived content that includes recordings of various events associated with the exhibition. Those of you familiar with the program might have spotted that this review did not include extracts from the Black History Month UK 2023 series, which usually form part of the autumn-winter review. That's because I decided to make the AI season compilation, which covered the majority of autumn-winter 2023 a standalone series and include snippets of the Black History Month UK 2023 series in the upcoming Year in Review 2023 episode. So switching things up just a tiny bit. To catch up on previous episodes in the AI season and to keep up with all the other work and workplace related conversations that take place here on the workplace, please connect with me using hashtag workplace NND. My thanks as always to all those who have made this program possible. This program was first broadcast on community arts radio station Resonance 1 4.4 FM, which is a charity. Please support us at resonancefm.com forward slash donate and on Patreon. Special thanks to ARC Club for supporting AI season here in the workplace. To find out more about ARC Club, please visit arc-club.com. And ARC is spelled A-R-C. ARC Club, the fabulous co-working space that is more than just a workspace. And thank you so much for listening. As always, it's been a pleasure being in your company. Till next time, keep finding new and better ways to keep working.